Well, good morning. Uh, so happy to have you all here today. Um, this is now uh, a very exciting week for our family that we want to thank you all for. I know that you've all been praying so very much for us to, in addition to figuring out how to deal with this complicated pregnancy with my wife, you've also been praying for our housing situation. And so many of you showed up last Saturday. Uh, some of you were injured even last Saturday coming to help us move into our apartment. And so thanks to you, because through all your prayers, my wife and I were finally able to find a house. And um, so we will be closing sometime, looks like at the beginning of August. So if you guys would like to update your prayers for us, just pray that the closing would go smoothly. Our hope is that we would be able to move in before the baby shows up. And that way we won't have to... Um, have in addition to a pile of boxes in a small apartment also a, a, a cranky little one so um, you guys can pray for that for us uh, the other exciting thing that i have for me personally is that this is the first sermon that i get to preach with you guys which is father's day um, i was actually i was talking with pastor will and he came up to me last week and he says jeff do you want to preach uh, for church service next week it's a father's day sermon i said okay i'll do that and then this morning i was driving here and i started to panic and i started thinking wait, is it Father's Day? <laughs> Am I going to be preaching a Father's Day sermon on not Father's Day? And so, uh, <laughs> I, of course, luckily Google um, assuaged my fears. But it, it's kind of interesting because my first sermon with you guys is a Father's Day sermon. And my last sermon that I preached where, from where I came was a Mother's Day sermon. So uh, two and two back to back I get to do about our parents. And I don't know what your relationship is like with your parents, but I think if you're like most people, it, it's good with some complications. And sometimes we can struggle to see God's glory in that. Uh, as a father now, myself, this is now my fourth year that I celebrate Father's Day as a father. And I can see my own deficiencies. But other things that I've begun to see is I get to see some truths about myself. And one of the things that I've learned to see is that uh, being a father, the one thing I love is I love terrible jokes. I love bad jokes. Sometimes they're called dad jokes. Uh, I don't know why they're called dad jokes. I just really love the fact that as a society, we celebrate that fathers have a terrible sense of humor. And so, in order to celebrate Father's Day with you, I'm going to begin by telling you some terrible jokes. If you would like to file grievances, you can send it to Pastor Will Hatfield at 550, <laughs> was it 57011 Ames, right? Or US 30 Ames. Um, just kidding. They're good. These are great jokes. Okay, first one is this. Why was the leper pulled over for speeding? Because he left his foot on the accelerator. They're going to be bad guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> What's blue but not very heavy? Light blue. Most people are shocked when they find out how bad of an electrician I am. My grief counselor died the other day, and he was so good that I don't even care. <laughs> Never date a tennis player. Love means nothing to them. <laughs> Delayed reaction, I see. <laughs> and an invisible man married an invisible woman, and I don't know what they saw in each other, and their kids weren't much to look at either. <laughs> and if you're interested in finding more of these, you can Google, seriously, the worst 202 dad jokes that will make your kids cringe. Uh, wait until after service to search that up, though. But in society, fathers are known for a lot of things. In culture, we acknowledge that fathers are, are great at telling terrible jokes. Uh, perhaps your father is known for being frugal with a thermostat. 
Fathers are commonly championed at being uh, handy and strong in personality, while others at the other end are known for us being able to see the worst in them, and we see our fathers maybe not as a pillar of strength, but just uh, merely human. And for those of us who seek to honor our fathers, however, as the Lord asks us to do, as he says is worthy, the Lord promises that we will find that our fathers are loving. And because they are loving, he says that we will find that they are wise. God says that their wisdom stems from their love, love for both us and their love for God. And because of this, the wisdom that they provide is among the greatest that we will ever receive. In fact, the greatest wisdom I ever received, I'll share with you at the end of the sermon, but I received it from my own father. And so let us go ahead and read from a text today. It's Proverbs chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. And we can have it on screen here in case you guys um, use phone Bibles or whatever it is that you do. Proverbs chapter 4, 1 through 13, starting in verse 1, says this. Hear, O sons of fathers' instructions, and be attentive that you may gain insight, for I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast to my words, keep my commandments, and live. Get wisdom, get insight, do not forget, and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, and whatever you get, and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place you, uh, she will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Now, having lived here in Iowa for three weeks, (laughs) um, I've noticed that there are a lot of differences between Ames and Los Angeles. Total shock, right, for you guys. Um, Maybe you don't know, but you guys have this weird, strange liquid that falls from the sky, and it makes everything wet, and I'm trying to figure out what that is. Um, And in addition, nothing's on fire yet, which I find terribly scary. Uh, By now, we've we've had at least three or four wildfires. Uh, But one thing that you guys do have that we don't have back home is you guys have a lot of wildlife. In fact, in my just three weeks of living here in, in Iowa, I have seen more wildlife here than I have in my entire life in California. Now, to be fair, most of that wildlife has been dead on the highway. Um, (laughs) In fact, I'll be driving down the interstate, and I'll see in the distance that there's a patch of mud on the highway, and I'll say to myself, oh, better slow down lest I get in an accident. There's mud. And then I'll get up close to it, and I'll realize, no, it's just deer chunks. And my son, actually, he's kind of run to find that kind of funny. Um, But one thing in addition to the wildlife that you have, we do have wildlife back home. Uh, Sometimes it makes its way out of the hills into our homes and our our, uh, yards and everything like that. And the one thing that we have that you don't have is that we have mountain lions. Uh, We had a mild problem with mountain lions back home where they would be coming into yards at night eating pets and, and 
usually eating the neighborhood dog or the neighborhood cat. Um, and usually it, it, they were kind of a frightening occurrence. In fact, not too long ago, uh, there was actually a mountain lion that was just making his way around town. And you can kind of see that they're collared. They put these collars on them to keep track of them. We'll talk about that. But the problem with these lions is that they found that they were just dying. Uh, a lot of them, most of them were dying because of either disease or um, the, the rat poison that people were using was bioaccumulating in their prey. And then they would eat the prey and then they would die from poisoning. Other times they would get hit by cars. Uh, but the sad thing is that there was just a limited population and, and they were dwindling. Uh, but one thing that they didn't account for was that these mountain lions were just showing up dead in the hills, killed by other animals. And it sounds kind of weird to think that a mountain lion would be killed by another animal. So what they did was they captured all the mountain lions that they could find. They put collars on them, GPS trackers, so that they can keep track of these things and find out what's happening when they die. And what they found was astonishing. You see, what they thought was happening was that maybe there was a rogue mountain lion going around killing them, or maybe there was a bear. We get bears, too. Maybe there was a bear going around killing these lions. But what they found after they started tracking them was that it wasn't a bear, it wasn't a rogue lion that was killing these, but rather the lions were being killed by their own fathers. Why? Because they were younglings, and as soon as a young lion grows up, if it doesn't leave the territory... As soon as it encounters its father, the father kills it. It doesn't matter if it's its kid. It doesn't matter if it's family. It's a threat. It competes for that territory. And so the father kills the child. And I was thinking about this this week, about how different that is. That's a phenomenon that we actually see in a lot of species, where the father sees its own kids as a threat. And I started to think about how different that is to humans we don't have territory disputes with our children. We give them our territory. We share it with them. We don't hate our children. We love them. And we don't harm our children, but instead of harming them, so crucial are fathers to the development of their children that if a child should grow up without a father, then finding social, emotional, emotional and spiritual maturity becomes immediately difficult for that child. In fact, I don't think it's a surprise for any of us to hear this. I'm sure you've heard these stats over and over again. But people who grow up in homes without fathers are four times more likely to live in poverty. They are significantly more likely to succumb to things like drug and alcohol abuse. Uh, they are excessively more likely to deal with issues like extreme anger and depression. In fact, 63% of all youth suicides come from fatherless homes. 71% of high school dropouts have no father at home. 90% of all homeless grew up in a home without a father. And four-fifths of criminals in prison today experienced no father growing up. So the father is essential, it seems, to develop emotional uh, and social maturity as a child. But one thing that often gets overlooked in the realm of our church is that a father statistically not only does he provide maturity for these things but he also is the single greatest role in developing spiritual development within their kids i don't know what the motivation was but uh the swiss government did a bit of research between 1994 and i think 2006 and what they found was that there was a correlation between the spiritual commitment of the father and then the spiritual commitment of the child. 
the, the numbers that they found was that if a mother attends church regularly, but the father does not, the children were roughly about 1.5 to 2% likely to become a 100% uh, faithful Christian for the re remaining term of their life, right? They, they had a very low chance to become lifelong faithful Christians. Now, it also said, though, however, um, that there was a 40% chance that these kids would be semi-faithful, you know, coming to church from time to time, uh, believing in God, but trying to figure out where to put church in their life. And there's also a thing to note that this covers all denominations of all religion. They actually did this, this research for, and we know that for uh, families who teach the Bible at home, for families who take their faith seriously, these numbers become much higher, even amongst single mothers. But the point is to show that the father plays a significant role in developing faithfulness in their child. On the other hand, if a mother was not faithful, but the father alone was regularly committed, then they also found that the child was 44% more likely to develop a lifelong faith. It went from 2% when the father was not faithful to 44% when the child was faithful. And furthermore, amongst this study, it claims that if a mother was the first to become a Christian in a household, there was a 17% chance that the rest of the family would follow. But if a father was the first to be saved, then the chance of the rest of the family following jumped to 93%. In fact, one journalist reflecting on this commented, while there is surely a difference between a study in Switzerland in 1994 and the reality of what happens in, in the United States in 2015, the study points to something that I have long felt in my own life, that I am a Christian today because my father led me. According to scripture and reflected in contemporary life, it seems that the constant and ongoing interaction between father and child uh, is what most develops the spiritual commitment of children to the Lord. Hence, this is why when we read of a father's instruction to children in Deuteronomy chapter 6, it does not say, make sure that you drag them to church once a week. It does not say, make sure that they are in a Sunday school class. It does not say, make sure that you take them to some midweek program and that's good enough. But rather, what does Deuteronomy chapter 6 say? It says that you shall teach your child diligently. And, and when we read this word in English, diligently, we may think it means like intently or, or intensely, that, that we're you know, very powerfully teaching it to them. But that's actually not what it means. Uh, the word, that's a Hebrew word, shinen, it means that when we translate it into English, diligently, it actually carries a connotation of teaching repeatedly, again and again and again, right? Over and over, you should teach the law of the Lord to your, to your children. And then when it says what diligently looks like, what does it say? It says that when teaching the law of the Lord to your children, you should do it when you are sitting down, when you are moving around about the house, when you are moving around out of the house, uh, when you are lying down and standing up, you are to bind it to your hands and to your eyes and to the doorposts of your gates, right? Again and again and again in every walk of life. It is the constant uh, godly interaction with their father that creates faithful believing in children. We have long known this, and we have long been told it in Scripture. It is the father, not the father only, we need to be sure about that because I know that there are always the occasions where maybe there's a single mother or maybe there's a father who does not believe 
Um, we know it's not only the Father, but it is the Father most powerfully who teaches, who influences, who gives wisdom, who molds, who shapes the Spirit, who forms the foundation of morality. It is the Father who quickens the Spirit by use of wisdom and love to cause a child to believe and love the Lord for their very life. Let's read Proverbs chapter 4. We read it this morning. It says this, Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight, for I teach good precepts. And then it jumps and says, For when I was a son with my father, tender and the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me. And he said to me, Let your heart hold fast to my words. Why? Because if you keep my commandments, you will live. Again, we see in verse 10, Hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. Why? Because I have taught you the way of wisdom, and I have led you in the paths of uprightness. And if you walk, your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. Again and again, we see this kind of word picture, this word formulation, where it says, Hear, O son, a father's instruction that you will live. Hear my words, accept my words, and you will live. It says it over and over again. Our Father serves as a role of provider, of protector, as family head. But to his children, a father is a wellspring of wisdom and love, first and foremost. Thus, it is for this very reason that God, when choosing to identify how he relates to us himself, says that when he relates to us, he chooses not to do so as an authoritative God or as a, a rule keeper or as a judge. But first, he chooses to relate to us as what? Our Father. Look with me in the ways that the Lord says that he identifies with us in the same way that our earthly Father identifies with us. He says this, Psalm 103, our Father gives us fatherly compassion as a father shows compassion to his children, it says, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Second, God says that he gives us fatherly help. Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 31 says, In the wilderness you have seen how the Lord God carried you. As a, as a man carries his son, and all the way you went, he carried you until you came into the promised land. Third, God says that he gives fatherly provision. Matthew chapter 7 verse 10 says, Or which one of you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give you good things to those who ask him? Next, God gives fatherly discipline. Hebrews chapter 12 says, Endure hardships as discipline. God is treating you as sons, for what son is not disciplined by his father? And finally, God trains us into his fatherly vision of what he wants us to become. Isaiah chapter 64 says, But now, O Lord, you are our father, and we are the clay. And you are our potter, and we are all the work of your hand. 
God could choose to demonstrate himself to us in a lot of ways. He can show his love and his guidance by using any many number of words to teach us. But instead, what does he say that he does? He chooses to demonstrate to us, to demonstrate his love, to demonstrate his teaching, to demonstrate his wisdom to us, and likeness to the love and teaching and wisdom of our earthly fathers. Why? Because just as God guides, just as the Lord molds, just as he teaches and loves and protects and provides for and disciplines, so also do our dads. Or at least that's what they're called to do by the Lord. And thus, for this calling that they have, for this duty that they are given by God, and for this fantastic job that they do in developing our lives, we owe our fathers every bit of love that we can offer to them. Not merely to love, but we're to honor our fathers, aren't we? In fact, when we read the fifth commandment in Exodus chapter 20, you guys know this, it says, honor your father and mother. The other night, uh, I had a meeting at the Lighthouse, and we were collecting all of the college, uh, sorry, the adult leaders and student leaders of the Lighthouse ministry to kind of give me an idea of what we're going to be doing in the summer, uh, after the summer's over. And we were talking about the location of Lighthouse, how it's just right across the street from the university. And I mentioned that we were in an enviable spot and that all the other churches would kill to have an opportunity to have that location. And then someone joked and said, well, let's not have, let's not have the other churches kill because that's sin. That's kind of bad. Um, and then I think it was... Uh, I think it was Dave Fee. He said, well, what about this? Let's just have them covet, because that's not as bad as murder. And we, and we all had a, a good laugh. Uh, I, now, I don't think that that's how the Ten Commandments work. I don't think it's like a hierarchy where, you know, uh, well, yeah, I would say murder is worse than, than coveting. But in the eyes of the Lord, sin is sin, right? Um, but it's something to notice, that when we look at the Ten Commandments, the first four uh, are dedicated to our relationship to God, and the following six are dedicated to our relationship to others. And what's the first one on the list? Honor your father and mother. It comes before murder. In fact, if we violate our fathers and do not honor them, then there are even really serious consequences. In fact, God says in Exodus 21, it says, whoever strikes his father shall be put to death. That's serious business to God, to honor our parents, isn't it? There's also a really weird verse in Proverbs 30. Uh, it says that the eye of the one who mocks his father will be plucked out by ravens and eaten by vultures. I'll tell you right now, I have no idea what to do with that verse. All I can tell is that it, it shows us the idea that God takes honoring our fathers very, very seriously. There should be plenty of evidence here to show that honoring our fathers is a worthy duty for us to do. But the confusion comes in this. What does it mean to honor? What does it mean to honor our father? Does it mean respect? Does it mean to be afraid of? To, to quietly obey? To stay out of the way? Coming from doing uh, Asian American ministries for 10 years, that's what my mind defaults to. I've seen it. I've seen how the children uh, in Korea and China and Japan, how they react to their parents and it's a quiet fear and obedience. Maybe growing up in the Midwest, that's kind of how you think about honoring your father. Maybe it just means shut up, do what you're told, get out of the way. But if we were to look at that word honor 
as it is described in Exodus chapter 20 in the fifth commandment where it says, honor your father and mother, the Hebrew word for it, kabod, it doesn't mean just only to respectfully be afraid of and obey, although I guess, I guess there's some element to that. But rather that word honor carries a meaning that, con uh, that has a connotation of increasing the value of something and magnifying the, the praise for right? To multiply praise. In fact, when we look at how God himself uses this word in the book of Exodus, we see he uses it a lot. And the way that he says honor is, in fact, when he compares himself to other people. In Exodus 14, he says, I will get honor, but he translates it as glory. I will get glory over Pharaoh and all of his hosts. I will have a magnified praise over all of Pharaoh and all of his servants. It's not that we're to worship our dads, but we are supposed to glory in them. We're supposed to see them not merely as someone that we're to be obedient toward, but we're to be filled with splendor and pride in our relationships with our fathers. This is what it means to honor them, to love them, and to hold them as high in our lives. And I can be confident in that because Proverbs 17, verse 6 says that very bluntly. It says that while grandfathers are the crown of the aged, the glory of children is who? Their fathers. That word glory, it's a different word. It might be translated as beauty or pride. And it kind of gives the implication that your father's wisdom makes you what? Makes you beautiful. Your father's wisdom makes you filled with pride, a good pride, to, to, to know that you're doing what's right. Which is why I like what Proverbs chapter 1 says. Oh, I don't have it up there. It says this. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, for they are a graceful garland to your head and pendants around your neck. Your father's instructions make you beautiful. They make you glorious. My father who teaches me, who teaches me wisdom when no one else would, and whose wisdom is beautiful because it is filled with love for me, that wisdom makes me beautiful. Is that right? I think it's true. And so I just kind of want to take a direction with our sermon today of just sharing three things, three pieces of wisdom that we find in Scripture that fathers want their children to know things that they think make us beautiful before god things that if we believe them and obey them will make us honoring them it will fill them with happiness that they are our fathers proverbs chapter 23 verse 24 says the father of the righteous will rejoice greatly and he who fathers a wise son will be glad in him it makes me think that the way to make our fathers most happy on father's day is to obey their wisdom, is to listen to them and let it transform our lives that we may become ones who please others, who please God and please our own Father by being wise. And the first thing that God says fathers want us to know is this, that even though sin appears to bring bounty to sinners, it brings them destruction. One thing that the world will teach you is that sin brings great wealth and comfort. It will venture to teach you that there is no punishment for those who sin. If we were to look at the world, what do we see? 
we see that he, uh, the one who sins finds pleasure. <laughs> and those who live for righteousness suffer greatly. He, the nice guy finishes last. That is a motto that is becoming more and more prevalent in today's society. These days, it seems that it is outrightly championed that if you can commit crime, that you can benefit and never even have to face punishment for it. That you can commit wicked sin and debauchery and never have to face societal, societal blame for it. That if you go out and live to your heart's content and satisfy your flesh, there is no one who will tell you it's wrong. But if you decide that you want to live for God and be holy and righteous and stay away from sin, you're told so many times that you will suffer for it. There are many ways to describe this, and I think that there's just, this is just worthy of an entire sermon of ways that the world tells us that we will be rewarded for sin. I can mention all the different ways that the Lord wants you to, or that the wor world, not the Lord, the way the world wants you to indulge in sexual fantasies, how the world wants you to steal and covet what isn't yours, how the world wants you to be hateful to the people that you disagree with, how the world wants you to be rewarded for doing all of those things. We could go into real detail there, but I will only say this. If you seek to live your life by limiting your sinful indulgences, then you will be told again and again you're missing out, that your great pleasure will never occur and that you will have no reward for trying to live a life of righteousness before God. This is the thing. This is the lesson that the world has for you today. This is what the world teaches. But what does a father teach? Or a godly father, anyways. One who is worthy of honor. A father teaches this. Proverbs chapter 1. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of a bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They, sat, they set an ambush for their own lives. The truth of the matter is that no sin is committed that is not harmful to you. No sin is committed with impunity. To be made by God is to be held accountable by Him. And a father teaches this. A wise father teaches this to their children. He teaches this to you not only because it's wise, because it spares you from destruction. And your father teaches you to stay away from sin because what pleases him most is to see you live. Proverbs chapter 15 verse 3 says this, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping a watch on every evil and every good. All sin is punished. And what's, what's more is this. All justice is rewarded. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 6 says, For God is not unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown in his name. The nature of God is that he is not unjust, but rather he is just. And the way that he shows his justice is to reward you for your life of faithfulness. No person in the world will teach you this. There is great reward in keeping the Lord's commands, and no sin is worth its promises. The world will not teach you, but your Father does. 
and it is good to honor him by obeying this wisdom. So that is the first one, that no matter how much that sin promises to provide bounty, it only brings destruction. The second one that our Father wants us to know is this. If you desire to be delivered from calamity, then you can find wisdom in the teachings of the Lord. I really hate to be the one that tells you this, but your life is going to drag you down. It's going to be hard. This life will bring you broken bones and bruised egos. It will bring you poverty in some sense. And you will see all of the ones that you love die. And then you will die. And that's hard to deal with. That is a very hard thing for us to, to deal with as people. But the reality is, is that the curse is here. The world is cursed because we sin. There's no way to escape it. And because you sin, you will deal with the curse the rest of your life along with everybody else. The problem comes with how do we endure that curse, right? What do we do to endure the hardships and the punishments for sin? Do we accept and give in to the impulses even further and attempt to numb out the fact that this world is dying? Is that what we do? That's what a lot of people do. Do you give in to hatred and exclusion to people who are different than you? A lot of people do that. And that numbs out the reality very well. Or do you accept that the suffering of this life is a lesson that God has designed to teach you to hate what is evil and to knit your heart to Him in goodness and obedience? You see, in this life... There is no lack of people who will suggest to you what way you must go. There is no lack of people who will tell you what you must do to find peace in this cursed world. The problem is, however, is that all those people who tell you these things, Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, that they are treacherous, that they are swollen with conceit, that they are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, and that they appear to have godliness, but they will only point you they, they will never point you to him because they deny his power. What kind of wisdom will such people give to you? They will tell you, sin is not sin. Sin is pleasurable. It's okay to do it. You will never face punishment. And then you will die and it will all be gone. That's what the world will teach. It's okay to sin. But what does a father do? He teaches that in this cursed, sinful world, we are to knit our hearts to Jesus because in doing so, we learn to hate what is evil and instead to love what is good. Your father wants you to know that. Your father wants you to know that you should not kick against the goads when world hurts. But rather, you can always find respite and wisdom in the teachings of the Lord. It will be hard. The wisdom of the Lord will tell you things that the flesh does not want to hear. It will tell you to do things that may not seem immediately pleasurable. And maybe your first instinct will to react against the teachings of the Lord in his word. He will, but the Lord will tell you what is good. And he will tell you to do things like love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Things that are hard to do in flesh but in spirit are so satisfying and rewarding. No one will teach you to do this. 
but your father who loves you will. Proverbs chapter 3 says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure them up in your heart within you, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find not the knowledge of God. And then you will understand all righteousness and justice and every good path. For discretion will watch over you and understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding is a very fatherly piece of wisdom. You can only get that from your father. And it is among the wisest pieces of wisdom that you can ever receive. And therefore, how do we make our fathers happy on Father's Day? Understand that if we want to avoid times of calamity, we should seek wisdom, not from the world, but from the wisdom of God's word. And the final one is this. So the first one was, if, if, the war, uh, if sin appears to bring bounty, know that it does not. It only brings destruction. That's the first one. The second one is if you desire to be delivered from calamity, seek God's wisdom in his word. And the final one is this. Adoption means that you are loved. But it also means that you are chosen. And because you are chosen, you are loved forever. And I think this is a lesson that not every child gets to learn. We all learn it to some extent, but for those of us who are adopted, we learn this eventually, and it becomes the wisest thing that we ever learn in our lives. Um, I have a unique situation. I was not adopted by both parents, but uh, I was adopted by my father. And the way that that makes sense is that uh, when my mother was pregnant with me, uh, the guy who fathered me, he didn't really feel like he was ready to be a father, and, and he just kind of left. I, I give grace to that. There was a long period of time where I didn't. I know now the circumstances. I, I look at it and, and kind of think that if I did not have the love of the Lord in my life, I may have been tempted to do the same thing. But it doesn't change the fact that growing up, I didn't have a dad. Well, eventually, my mom married this guy, um, and, you know, he, uh, he married her, and eventually... Uh, she had a kid with him, and I started to think that all his love went to this other kid. I thought he never loved me. I remember he adopted me. I remember that he wanted to show that he loved me. So when I was like, I don't know, six, he took me to the courthouse. I remember wearing this itchy shirt and this stupid clip-on tie that was always to the side. And I remember waiting in this long hallway alone. And I remember going in front of a judge, and the judge asking me a bunch of questions like, do you know that your dad loves you? Yes. Do you know that your dad wants to be your father? Yes. Yeah, and I know all that. But the reality is that for someone whose own father rejected him, I love you and adoption, they're just words. They don't mean much. People can say, I love you all that they want, but if you know in your heart that you were rejected by the one who made you, it can be very hard to reconcile the fact that people say love means something but in your own experience, it means that you're never loved. So fast forward about 15 years. I was in high school. I was in the Boy Scouts. We went camping, and I had my, my new father in tow. And I remember that we got in a fight. I don't remember what it was about, but I looked at him, and I screamed at him in front of everybody, you are not my father. You cannot tell me what to do. And I hate you because you do not love me. And I 
stormed off, right? <laughs> That's the way to win an argument, by the way, is say your piece and then run, right? <laughs> so anyways, I go and I zip up my tent, right? And I'm sitting alone, crying to myself, and then not 30 seconds later, I hear the zipper unzip, in comes a hand, yank right out of the tent, and a finger comes in my face, and he says, don't you dare tell me that I do not love you. I chose you, so I love you. And that's about all he said. I, I don't remember what else there was, but that's what I remember. I even, I told my dad about that last year, and I said, did you remember that you said this? He said, no. I mean, it sounds pretty smart, but I didn't say that. I don't remember saying that. But that's the thing. He said this simple piece of knowledge in his heart that he knew so simply, and I couldn't get, but it was a fact that he chose me, and that means he loved me. To this day, that is the single greatest piece of wisdom in my entire life. Because not only does it have material truth, right, in this life, it has a very, very deep spiritual truth. God can never unchoose you. It's completely out of his nature to do that because we are his adopted sons. Jesus says that any of those whom he brings to the Father's hand, no one can snatch them out of his Father's hand. Look at Ephesians Chapter 1, it says this, In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. I do not know how you look at that, but as someone who experienced some level of adoption, I look at this and I read it this way. He made an intentional decision to bring me to him not only to bring me to him, but to make me equal with his other kid. And he did so with intent decision. God foreknew us. He elected us. According to the purpose of his will, he chose us. And then he made us co-heirs with his son, Jesus Christ. This is the added level. I am a co-heir with my brother. His name is Eric. He lives in Urbandale. He's my father's son, and I'm not. But we share the same inheritance. And I am also a co-heir with Christ. Because when God looks at me, he sees Christ, and he does not distinguish between me and him. In fact, adopted sons and daughters always feel that they are unloved. Adopted sons and daughters always think that love can't be theirs through their father. Their past is just too thick. It's too raw. It's hard to overcome that. But God says in Romans chapter 8 that the nature of adoption is this. It says that, first, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Why? Because Romans 8 verse 32 says this, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all how will he not also, alongside, together with him, give us all things? Therefore, Paul says just a few verses later that, Therefore, I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This, we know this verse we know this as a, a sign of eternal security that I can never be unloved by God. But the reality is, is that this is an adoption verse. 
the reason that you can never be separated from God is because he adopted you and made you a co-heir with Christ, and therefore he can never take his love away from you. It's sealed, as in court, when that judge said, you are now your father's son, and hit the gavel on the podium, in the same way God made us adopted sons when Jesus Christ rose from the dead. We are his And while all of you may not know this, you may not have fathers who want you to know that because they don't know that they're supposed to want you to know that because they've not experienced adoption. For those of us who have been adopted, I can tell you this. We want you to know that. We want you to know that adoption means that you are loved and loved forever. And because I know it, I want you to know it. And now that you know it, I pray that you will tell that to your children as well. The world wants you for its own. It wants you to obey its commandments. But only your father wants what's best for you. He wants you to listen and live and be loved. He has issues, he has faults to be sure. But for most of us, he is worthy of our praise. And when our fathers do what God commands them to do, they are the best picture of our relationship with our Heavenly Father. God made our fathers, and we praise Him for this. So happy Father's Day. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank You for this wonderful gift that we have in our dads. I know that some of us don't have dads. I know that some of us have dads, but the relationship is bad and broken. But Father, for all of us, we can know that You designed a picture, and sin messes it up, But it doesn't change the fact that regardless of our relationships with our fathers, we have a father who loves us, and that is you. And Lord, thank you that as cursed as this world is, you have preserved it enough so that an overwhelming majority of us have wonderful fathers. Lord, let us look to celebrate the institution of fatherhood today, to understand the weight of it, to respect it, to love it, and to honor those who raised us, to love them. And then in turn, as we raise our own children to be men and women who are worthy to be praised with honor. Father, thank you for this wisdom and guidance you give. And we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.